Hello and welcome to Research Roundup brought to you by the Primary Care Collaborative Cancer Clinical Trials Group, PC4. I'm Christy Milley and each month we'll be looking at what's new in cancer in primary care research and I'll be talking to authors of recent publications and presentations. Today we're talking with Professor Michael Jefford. He's a consultant medical oncologist and director of the Australian Cancer Survivorship Centre, which is at the Peter McCallum Cancer Centre. Michael recently co-authored a systematic review titled Tools to Facilitate Communication During Physician and Patient Consultations in Cancer Care. And it was an overview of systematic reviews. So welcome, Michael. Thank you. You're the director of the Australian Cancer Survivorship Centre. So can you just give us a little bit of background about that and the work that you do? Sure. So the Australian Cancer Survivorship Centre, or probably call it ACSC, is at Peter Mac, and we've been going for about 10 years. So just like PC4, we're both celebrating our 10th anniversary. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. Birthday cakes. So we have funding from Peter Mac, also from the Victorian state government, and also we've received funding from the Pratt Foundation. And so that gives us a perspective and, and a focus on Peter Mac and the Parkville Precinct, where we're based, but also on the whole state. And so a lot of what we've done has been to try and improve awareness and to improve survivorship care across the whole state. And we think that that has relevance for the whole country too. So our vision is to optimise the health and well-being of cancer survivors and their carers. And we do that primarily by supporting and enabling improved survivorship care. Oh, great. And thinking about the, the overview that you've done, why is effective communication so important in cancer care and in your consultations? I think for, for lots of reasons. You know, effective communication means that people in a very distressing situation understand their situation and they can participate in decision making to the level that they want to. And, and that has broad benefits. And so if people have effective communication, then they're more likely to be satisfied with the consultation, less likely to be as worried and distressed, more likely to feel more comfortable that they've been able to participate to the level that they wish. And I think that there are broad benefits, you know, for health professionals too. So if you have satisfactory communication, I think that that's more likely to give better satisfaction for clinicians, for health professionals, less likely to be associated with burnout, with litigation. So huge broad benefits mm. for um, effective communication. And extending that into... I suppose, primary care. Well, how does communication with primary care play a role during those physician-patient consultations? Uh, well, I, I guess that it's the, the same whether it's in primary care or in any other setting, that people want to feel like they're being listened to, they want to receive the right information, they want the right advice. I don't think it makes a difference in what the situation is, whether it's mm. in primary care or whether it's a consultation with a medical professional or, or whether it's nursing staff, allied health or anybody. You know, people want to have effective communication. So. Yeah. And that's communication, you know, between a health professional and a patient, but it might be effective communication between professionals and other situations, I guess. Yeah. And you decided to tackle an umbrella review, which I think is an epic task. Was the quality of the papers that you were able to find consistent across those each of those systematic reviews? Yeah, so this was, uh, as you say, it was a review of reviews. I was a minor part of this huge undertaking, but I guess that what was done was to look for systematic reviews that looked at communication tools. So tools that were used in a consultation to support communication between physicians and, and patients in this example. And it's true that the quality of the systematic reviews varied quite a lot. So there are standard ways of scoring the quality of a, of a review paper. And the purpose of that is to know 
how effective the review process was and whether it followed a sort of robust process, whether there's risk of bias in the reporting. And so we found that the quality of the review papers was quite variable and sometimes was poor. And that obviously has implications for the conclusions we can make from this. And then based on your outcome measures, which tools did you find showed the greatest benefit? This was an exercise really looking at the impact of tools that are used in a consultation. So we know that there are a number of tools that can be used outside of a consultation. So for example, if people are given information ahead of a consultation, if they're given, say, a decision aid, or if they're given something afterwards. So that might be an audio recording, a held record or something like that. So these were specifically tools that are used in the consultation. And the two major tools that seem to be effective in a broad range of outcomes are the use of patient-reported outcome reporting and responding to that, and then also the use of a question prompt list. Did you find any significant limitations with either of those tools? With all of these things, then they need to be incorporated into the consultation. We should probably just say a little bit about these. So a question prompt list is... I guess, reasonably self-explanatory. So it's basically a list of questions you might like to ask. And that might be, you know, tell me about the treatment options, tell me about the side effects. It might be, you know, tell me about the costs of these sorts of things or how they might impact on, you know, my work or my day-to-day activities. So they might be a set of questions. The use of patient-reported outcomes is really some sort of assessment of the patient experience. And so that might be symptom recording. It might be a range of other factors. With any of these sorts of things, you can imagine if a patient has said that they want to ask some questions and they're not encouraged to do so, then that's not going to help communication. Whereas if the clinician says, hey, I understand you've got a question prompt list, what are the questions that are important for you today, then that's much more likely to lead to benefit. One tool that that we found benefit from was the use of PROs or patient-reported outcomes. And patient-reported outcomes include, as it sounds, like anything that comes directly from the patient and particularly monitoring symptoms. So if people have been recording their symptoms, if that's actually discussed in the consultation that we go through that today you seem to have Uh, more problems with nausea, more problems with pain, let's talk about that, then that leads to improved outcomes, improved symptom management, improved satisfaction. So I think that the most important thing is engagement with these sorts of things. And we know from a number of studies, including the ones that are discussed in this review, that if these tools are not incorporated in the consultation, they're not endorsed, then they don't have benefit. Reflecting on those, do you use any of these tools in your current practice? Limited. Okay. (laughs) So I guess that Part of the challenge is having a systematic process to do it. And so we're really keen to be able to have routine patient-reported outcome in our consultations. But it's quite complicated because we need a process that people can receive the tool in advance and that ideally that that's part of our consultation. Ideally, we would like that to be part of an electronic system. And so ideally, we would like people to receive notification of the PRO, the patient reported outcome, in advance of the consultation. They'd complete that. Ideally, it would appear in the electronic medical record and we could engage with that. It sounds reasonably straightforward, but if you imagine that people might endorse that they have a need to have assistance, say, with housing or with talking to their children or 
dealing with particular symptom issues. So we need a process whereby we can assess that need and then refer appropriately. Basically having a joined up system. So there's a lot of interest in trying to have routine PROs in clinical practice. We're keen to get there, but we're not there yet. We certainly do have experience of using question prompt lists, and I think that they're great, but we just don't, again, do that systematically at the moment. So given you've just described how some of these tools could be integrated into care, but in your review, you found a lot of the systematic reviews were of poorer quality. How can we go about generating uh, higher quality evidence that better informs clinicians and their choices on how to use these tools? I think you've probably picked up on a few things. So one is to have high quality systematic reviews. Because we looked only at systematic reviews, then we do need uh, systematic reviews that report against all of the quality criteria. So I think that there's a point about if we're going to do a systematic review, we need to make sure that we follow the guidance so that we're reporting with minimal chance of bias and that we report completely. The other thing to say is that this review did focus on tools that are used in a consultation. And although we found that, uh, say, question prompt lists and the use of PROs seem to have the greatest level of evidence, that there are a number of other tools that can be used. Perhaps they don't have quite as good level of evidence. And so we might mention those briefly that, so for example, the use of audio recordings, there is some evidence to suggest that they can be beneficial. There was some inconsistency in the way that they're reported. And so we do need to think about optimal design of the studies, the, the primary studies. There's probably an issue there. We spoke to about the routine use of, say, PROs and question prompt lists, and I think that there needs to be more research about how they can be integrated into practice effectively. They can be effective in particular trial situations, but how does that actually happen in routine practice? So we need to do more work on dissemination and routine implementation. And then perhaps there are some other tools that might be effective, and we just need to think about how they can be used more effectively in the consultation. So that could be a decision aid, it could be the use of a patient-held record, audio recordings, survivorship care plans. That we, in this review, some of those things we excluded because they're not really incorporated into the consultation. So a number of areas that we could do further research. Wonderful. And I feel like it wouldn't be appropriate to close the podcast without saying, what's the current impact factor of CA Journal that this was published in? <laughs> You've sprung that on I know. me. It has an impact factor of over 100. It's amazing. Uh, I think it's 150 or something. I think it's well above that now too. <laughs> oh, it's extraordinary. It is. So congratulations uh, and thank you very much for joining today. Thank you very much. Thanks for downloading Research Roundup produced by PC4. You can access the articles and other information in our show notes. Please let us know what you think about this episode by emailing us at info at pc4tg.com.au or keep in touch via Twitter where you'll find us at pc4tg and there's also our website which is pc4tg.com.au.